Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. We're talking about this month the idea of uh, hope rising. Started on Easter and we've been looking at this subject for the last several weeks. We're going to continue with that and, and I just kind of remind you some things we've, we've talked about each week. The idea that we know that hope is, is important. It's a good thing. Some would even say it's an essential thing. Um, the, the saying has been said that you can't have life without hope. And that's debatable perhaps, but that's a very strong statement. Psychologists actually believe that, and I quote, hope might be the most important feeling, state, or emotion that we can experience. They go on to say that studies show that hope is the key to good health, it's the best predictor of meaningful existence, and it's an indicator of the performance in many areas of our life. all comes down to hope. I, I was reflecting this week, and I read a quote by a respected voice that we've heard from our past. Uh, many of you recognize his name is Billy Graham, and he said this about hope, and I, I quote, the greatest need in our world today is the need for hope. We thrive on hope. We rejoice in hope. Happy is he whose hope is in the Lord. He goes on to say, there is a hope for the future. It is centered in the person of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the grave and is alive now. I have staked all that I am or ever hope to be on him. That's what we're talking about, this hope that's rising, that we want to experience in deeper levels. That takes us to our verse that we've used as our theme, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a, what, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is hope. And true hope that will last is a hope that is somehow connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have hopes in a lot of things, and some of them have different varying uh, levels of, of confidence. But any, any hope that we have that is not somehow connected to the resurrection will ultimately disappoint. Because the resurrection defeated the one thing that destroys all hope, and that's death. Resurrection gives us an eternal hope. And that's what we're, we're talking about, and I hope that you're hope that you truly are understanding what that, that means in our life. So today, we're going to go back to a passage that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, which I think is, is a, a textbook on hope, Romans chapter number 5. We're specifically going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. And, and the point that we want to get, the theme of today's uh, talk is the idea of the power of one. Now, you're going to see how that relates in these verses in just a moment. But that's, if, if you're not familiar, that's a really popular, um, motivational type phrase in our culture. The power of one and what, what one can do and the difference that one can make. In fact, I threw up a couple of quotes that I read this week. The power of one man or one woman doing the right thing for the right reason and at the right time is the greatest influence in our society. Or maybe this quote, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but I still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. That's a motivational thought, the power of one and the influence that, that one can have. Now, as we walk through these verses, Paul's going to take it a little bit different direction. But it is pretty clear from the scriptures, this one and others, that 
that our actions, that what we do, does influence more than ourselves. There's something that you and I can do. There's consequences, results that we have that affect others, that affect a, a greater circle than just ourselves. There is something about that power of one. But this passage is the ultimate in that. And let me give you where it's going to get to. Verse number 18 and 19, just capture some of these phrases. He's going to say, just as one trespass, so also one righteous act. He goes on to say that about the disobedience of one man, and then we're going to talk about the obedience of one man. The power of one. And the difference that this one that we're going to look at makes in lives. So we're going to, we're going to start in verse 12. Some would argue, theologians, commentators, that the passage we're about to look at is one of the most important passages specifically about theology, about what God's plan is for the world and for human beings. The, these few verses just pack so much. And we're only going to just kind of scratch the surface a little bit. But I, I would encourage you to even study this passage even further. There's so much massive truth what, that God is wanting us to grab from this, this passage. In fact, one theologian said this, The last half of Romans 5 is the supreme test of man's theology. It's the most concentrated summary of the basic truths of Christianity in all of Scripture in these few verses that we're going to look at today. That's how powerful that this passage truly is. So we know that this passage is important, but in order to get a full understanding of these verses, the Bible is very clear that you, you can't just pull this out. You've got to understand where this comes from. And, and we know from verse number 12, that it connects it very well, starts with this word, therefore, is how verse number 12 starts. Now, You've been at our church long enough. I've used this phrase before. When you see a therefore, you need to find out what the therefore is there for, right? You, you need to understand that there's a connection here. Therefore is a, a word that's bringing into bear things that we've already learned, and it's going to continue on or bring either a conclusion or addition or somehow it connects the thought. So we know verse 12 is a therefore. Um, there's a whole lot of Romans already in place, but I want to specifically look at some things we've seen just these last few weeks, just the verses preceding it. Chapter 5, verse 2, 3, and 11, he says things like this, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. More than that, verse 11 says, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What's a word that kind of jumps off the page to you in that, those, well, hopefully it's rejoice because I underlined it and bolded it, but you understand, okay? There's something about rejoicing in these passages leading up to this therefore. He's talking about the word rejoice. It, it could be translated boast. It means to exult. It means bringing some praise into being. There's something about the, the life of a Christian that God says ought to cause us to rejoice if we're followers of Christ. That, that's a, something that comes with the, the package of Christianity is this ability to rejoice. But here's what we're going to learn, what Paul has already showed us, and what is going to now, this therefore, what it's going to connect us into, is that Christianity is more than just then, as big as this is, it's more than having your sins forgiven so that you can go to heaven someday. That's huge. But it's more than that. It's more than just a, a, a fire insurance policy you pull out when you die and say, I get out of hell free card. It's, it's bigger than that. 
Now that's important. I'm glad to say that I'm, I know that my, my home's in heaven, but what he's going to talk about, we have peace with God. We have access into the throne. We're talking about the fact that Christianity is more than just beyond the grave. There's something about Christianity and how we live right now. And these verses have been leading up to this, and this therefore is now to connect us into how we are to live as followers of Christ with this peace. We talk about the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, how that that secures for us forgiveness and secures for us a release from the penalty of our sin. That's what God's, what Jesus' death did for us. He's died as the Lamb of God. It takes away the sins. But understand, he also came back to life, and his life now becomes a source for us to live differently, a way for us to, to experience life in a different fashion, all because he's not only do we have a, a hope of the future, we have a living hope, a hope that is alive in us right now through what Jesus did for us. I would guarantee in this room, if I were to take a survey, some, perhaps many or most in this room, would say you're really not afraid to die because you've already settled that with Christ. You already know that he's taken your place. You're, you, you've, you have, you're experiencing that, that hope, and you know that it's there. That's, death isn't really anything that you're afraid of. But for some of us who have experienced that hope, it's the daily part of the grind of life that we begin to, not just the troubles, but where's the meaning? Is there more to it than this? Is there, is there something that, why do I feel the defeat and the, the, the areas that I'm around? Where is this, this hope for now? And, and that's what Paul is going to begin to show to us as we go starting here in these verses. In fact, before we move on to our passage, I want to, one other verse we've looked at, verse 10 of chapter 5. And he kind of shows us where this, this life is not just after death. He says in verse 10, For while, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And the context is indicating that this salvation he's talking about is, yes, after death, but it's also this life that we experience. In fact, the, the message translation captures that last phrase this way. Just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Your life should and can and by his power will be different now because he's resurrected, not just after the grave. It's something that, I, I believe this is what Jesus referred to as the abundant, the full life that God has in mind for us as followers of Christ. And, and, and to get to that, we've got to understand where that came from. And so what Paul starts with in this passage is where each of us are without salvation, where we stand or where this all came from, where the human, the human life, the humanity itself stands apart from Jesus. So, so let's start there. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. Here's how these first three verses read. Therefore, just as sin entered through the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. You already see the power of one. One man affected all people. All right, that's the power of one because all have sinned. Verse 13, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin's not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as in Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. 
Now again, we're just going to catch the, the gist of this passage, but let me give you the sobering th- reality that, that Paul brings out here. And, and I'll say it this way, because of one man, his name was Adam, death is in charge. The, the whole, the whole uh, uh, state of the human race starts with this fact, because of one man's sin, Adam, Death is in charge. And I show you that word as we read it through, the last uh, three words on there. Nevertheless, death reigned. Just what it means. Death ruled. Death was in charge. Death has an effect. Because of one man's sin, it has affected, the, the obvious effect has been on all of society. Every human being since Adam has felt the effects of sin, has been a part of sin ever since Adam. Here's what happens in the beginning. Genesis uh, 2 and 3, God creates man, puts him in the garden, and, and says you can enjoy all of the trees, all of the, enjoy everything. He, he told him to work it, except one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not to eat of that tree. And God was very specific, Genesis 2, verse 17. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly, what? Die. Any, any questions? God's pretty specific, is he not? You eat of that, you die. There, 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 you have this choice, but you eat of that tree and you die. Adam chose to eat of the fruit. And immediately, physically, Adam began to die. Up to that point, Adam, Adam's life, there was, there, was no, there, there was no end in there. But once he ate, his life, death became a reality physically for him. Death also immediately became a reality in his relationship to God. Now he's afraid, now he's ashamed, now he's hiding, now he's trying to concoct some kind of a, a costume out of leaves. He, all of these things, his relationship with God is different. That will never be the same. He'll never be able to walk the same way again. And also his relationship with his wife is different. There's also other consequences that affect all of creation. What has happened is death has moved in. Destruction has now moved in and it's taken over. Death is now in charge. Everything now is dying. We don't live in the land of the living. We live in the land of the dying. Every one of us since birth have been dying. It may, may happen at different times, but it's all in that process. Everything we know comes to an end. There's always, there's, it never, the, the whole, the, the, the cycles that scientists have called is everything is in this state of, it's not getting better, it's getting, it's worse. That's death. Death has moved in. Pain, suffering, all the things that we have experienced, it all has this, this concept, this, this idea of death, and it is passed upon uh, through, uh, through, through Adam, through us. I mean, we talk, one of the big things in culture today is DNA, right? You can find out your lineage through DNA, your hair color, your eye color, it's always somehow related to DNA. You got that leaky heart valve, well, probably grandpa had that. You know, you're just different things. There's DNA, is, is, it is passed on from generation. Do you understand, according to this verse, every one of us has one common strand of DNA, and that's sin. And that Adam and his sin passed on that DNA, and we have all now are a, a part of the effect of that from that point to now. But it's even, we can't, we can't point our finger at Adam and say, Adam, now you're, it's all your fault. He started it. <laughs> but every one of us have made our choices along the way as well. 
We, we, are, we, are, we sin because we're sinners. We've inherited that from Adam. In fact, the verse actually reads in such a way as if God says we sinned when Adam sinned. As a part of the race, we all are, are pointed to that sin. We were a part of that as a humanity. So we have inherited that sin, but then we also choose to sin. We, are, we sin because we're sinners, but we have confirmed that we are sinners because we sin. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what is, and, and that has come apart, but... Understand, that also now explains some things in our culture, in our society. You ever shake your head sometimes when you hear the news and go, how could somebody do that? It's because of sin. Do you realize that the DNA of sin within us makes all of us capable of just about anything? Oh, I would never. You have it in you. Sin is a part of that. Yesterday I was sitting at a stop sign had my windows down, and it's a nice day. All of a sudden, this horrific smell comes across. It wasn't me, okay? It was this horrific smell. And my first, and what I knew, I, there's a pig truck somewhere. You all know what I'm talking about. It's that time of year, correct? Right? I couldn't see it at that point, but it was obvious. And as I turned the corner, looked at my rearview mirror, lo and behold, there was one full of little piggies going to market, right? And some people call that the smell of money. I don't know that that's what money smells like, but it stinks, right? It's a smell of, do you understand, every time you, have, you see pain, every time you see crisis, every time you see crime, every time you see murder, when you see hurt, when you see all of the things, you, you know what, that's the smell of sin. And it's real. And it's around us. Because when Adam sinned, Death took the throne, and death has been affecting the human race ever since. And, and, Ad, and Paul is making this very clear to us to understand that that has, has been a part, and that is now, ever since then, if it's, anything's going to change, every human being since then has had a need of redemption, has had a need of something to take care of their guilt and their condemnation because we're all guilty because we've all sinned, he said. All of us have sinned because we're sinners and we've sinned by choice. We've all got a problem. We've all got an issue. One man, sin and death reigns. But the last part of verse 14 just begins to indicate the words of hope. Because in verse 14, he says this, Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. The one man, Adam, death is in charge. But there's, Adam was just a pattern, just a symbol of one man who was coming. And this one man is going to make an absolute difference. In fact, what's interesting about this, as important as that doctrine we just talked about, the fact that we're all sinners, and Paul makes that very clear, that wasn't really the focus of this passage. He makes it clear, but he's, the way that he uses it, he's just showing us that's something we all know. I, I have not yet met a human that looks at me and says, I am without sin. I've not met anyone, even some of this, the, uh, okay, I got it, I'm not perfect. There's not a one of us would ever, uh, that I know of that I've ever met that would say, you've met a sinless person. There's not one of us that, except Jesus could ever claim to that, and none of us has even tried. So we don't really have too much trouble. We can, we can, maybe we don't quite understand how it all came about, but we get it. We're all sinners, we've all sinned, and sin is the cause of all this. But that, that little phrase now begins to change everything. And what I find interesting, chap, verse number 12, your version's kind of, depending on what ver, how your version do it, it kind of shows something about Paul. He's, uh, 
He said in this verse, Therefore is by one man sin into the world, and, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all has sinned. He starts with these two words, just as, right? That's how it starts. And the way you're going to finish it is so also. And so he starts off, chapter, verse 12, just as by one man sin into the world. But at the end of verse 12, he kind of gets distracted. And he doesn't actually pick up his thought until verse 18 and 19. But you all know what that is. You've been saying something, right? You've been, you made this big, you got something you want to get across. And as, you, as soon as you say something, it triggers another thought and you, you head off another direction, right? That we call that spider webbing. Any of you that are married to a woman understand what, no, I'm just kidding. Don't throw anything at me, ladies. But I did have that conversation. My wife and I, she didn't even know what I was laughing about, but I knew I was, yesterday we were in the car and she's getting ready to tell me a story and she's all excited and she goes, and then she say a word and it reminded her of something else. And so she started telling me the other part of the story and that reminded her of something else. And pretty soon I'm going, and what were we talking about? I have no idea where you started this conversation at because you get, that's what, verse number 12, Paul gets so, he gets enamored by this thing about sin. He begins to describe it. But then, he starts just as by one man centered into the world. That's what he starts in verse number 12. But then he goes down to verse 18 and 19, and then he, he, he finishes it out. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, here's our words, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many would be righteous. There's one coming, the pattern, Adam was a pattern for this man, the, re the reason he was a pattern, the reason he was an example is because what, the one act that he did changed the landscape of humanity. Now he's saying, in comparison, there's one that's going to come. So, just as Adam was a picture of this, so also this one who's coming is also going to now change the landscape of the human race. What he's going to do is change, his obedience is going to change things just like Adam's disobedience changed things. But, but the, the, the difference is, the, the great difference is, we're not talking about death anymore. Now we're talking about, about life. In fact, verse 15, here's what he says. But the gift, that's how he starts verse 15. And I stop there because, but the, here I am spider webbing for just a moment, okay? But the gift, the gift throughout the, the New Testament, when, when you talk about eternal life, salvation, justification, it's referred to eternal life as the gift of God, okay? So what we have is Adam, because of his one sin, death was in charge, but now we know that there's also a gift involved, and it's not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? What he's saying is it's, it's similar. It did affect the whole human race, but when Adam sinned, it caused all of us to, to suffer death. But when Jesus gave his life, when he did what he did, his one act of obedience and following his father gave life, or he gave the possibility of life to all the human race. How much greater, how much more is it that, this, that since we know that it's true, that we're all sinners, how much more can we also count on the fact that there is hope, that there is life, that just as we know we're all sinners, we also know that Jesus died to change that. One man's sin, death reigned. One man's obedience changes everything. Look at verse number 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many transgressions, brought justification. He's saying, listen, one man's sin, all died. But when one man gave his life, his gift, 
now covers all the transgressions. Covers everything. His one gift covers everything, and he brings life. How it is similar to what Adam, but it's also a contrast. It's so much bigger. It's so much greater. What Jesus did for us. Verse eighteen. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. So also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For justice through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. That's the power of one. One man sins, the whole human race is now under the domination of, of death. But one man's act of obedience and giving his life, laying his life down on the cross, now makes it possible for all of that to change. For us, for all of that to be made different. And then he ends up the chapter with these words. Verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We, we just saw through one man, Adam... Death is in charge. Now look what happens. Through one man, sometimes referred to as the second Adam, now Jesus, through what he did, grace is in charge. Because he not only, he said death did reign, sin was the, the ruler, but now because of Jesus' death, grace is in charge. Grace reigns. There's a difference. That because of what Jesus did, that now there is, there's a difference for all. The, the, what, what the law did, what people have tried to do is change. And he said, well, all the law did was just make sin that much brighter. The law just showed you're already a sinner, and let me prove it. You can't keep the law. The law just increased. And, but I love the phrase where he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Get this. No matter what sin a person has done, grace is bigger than that. When sin gets big, grace gets bigger. God's grace covers it all. And so now, death, as strong as it was, and is it been, of the whole universe, of the whole human race, God's grace through that one obedient act of Jesus is now greater and can cover all that, that any man has done through now and forever. So because of one man, Jesus, grace is in charge. And this grace brings eternal life. Grace means it's a... It's a gift that you don't deserve. Grace means it's something that God offers. It's a, it's a privilege that God says, I, I have this, this made this gift for you. Okay, so here's what I want to do for just a minute. And this isn't spider webbing. This is just applying what we've talked about. Think about for a minute those first two thoughts. One man sinned. Death was in charge. One man obeyed and gave his life on a cross. Grace is now in charge. Grace now has the ability to change lives. If you understand that, you believe that, and here's some few realities that, that need to, we need to embrace based on those truths. We need to wrap your mind around now. What that, if I believe that to be true, first thing, it has to humble me. It has to put me in a place where I realize that I do not deserve to be standing in God's presence. The, the fact that I am Without, here's, here's the problem. Pop psychology would tell us that you're not a bad person, you just have made bad choices. Man, that sounds good to our ego, but the truth that God says is you make bad choices because you are a bad person. Sorry, it's a truth. You're a sinner. You inherited that. 
You were involved in that. And now you chose to be in it. Within us is this sinfulness that God says you you can't try to get past that and try to to gloss it over with, with some kind of positive thinking. We're sinners. That should humble us to think, I do not, there's no way I should be able to stand before God. I can't. I can't, you can't. Every person in the world, we stand equally unable to stand before a holy God because one man's sin has affected all of us, right? It also should within us, if we grasp it and get it, it also should stir within us compassion because we're all in the same boat. When I get irritated with people sometimes, I can't believe they're so... But since when have I ever had a perfect day? And when I, when I stop to realize that, that the sinfulness I see in others is just an exhibition of their nature but I exhibit it quite often in my own life. It should stir the compassion. One theologian just simply said it that way, that when we realize who we all are, and we're all in this kind of merciful, this, this pitiful situation, it should stir within us this desire, that knowing that God is the God of compassion, that, that if, if there's compassion shown to me, I, I should show it to others, because I certainly don't deserve it. It should stir compassion. But here's one, if Christians, get, grab this, please. If you understand this, that you're a sinner lost before God, but grace has moved in and you've received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, it has to stir in us a new kind of gratitude for what God has done. You do not deserve to stand before God. You have nothing. So when grace moves in, it's not something that you have bought or earned. It's something God has given to you and it ought to then stir within you the attitude. In fact, we're going to see this as we move through Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Thanks be to God to who you were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. You, you weren't just sinners, you were slaves to it. You didn't have a choice. And God came in and his grace saved you, forgave you, and now he's changed, he's actually delivered you. What is, that should stir, if, if nothing else, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. We actually started this a few weeks ago, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 begins this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance. Christians, I, we, we, just, we shouldn't be able to get over this too, too easily. That I was a sinner on my way to hell, deserving anything that I would get. And the grace through the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven me. Whew, praise be to God. If, if nothing else, it should just stop us and say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. That's, that's, it's got to stir that in us. And, and that's kind of what, what's one of the things that stopped me in my tracks this week. I, I mentioned it to you last week, sometimes about the, the, the rejoicing part of it. And my question to myself was this, does my attitude... The way that I face life reflect the fact that I've been forgiven, that I'm, I'm not in that kingdom anymore. I'm, I'm a new, that things have changed. I'm in, I mean, I, grace is in charge of my life, not death any longer. And is, does my attitude reflect that? Do people see that? Do people know that I'm rejoicing? It not doesn't mean I'm going to have a perfect day or that I'm putting on a fake smile. It means do they see in my life an attitude of difference because of what Jesus has done? Last thing is this. Reality should motivate us to tell somebody else because if we believe that that's true, that all of our sinners, because we've inherited that and we've chosen that, 
then that means that every person you know, bless that Gertie that you're going to meet at the family reunion, but if she doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, she's a sinner lost. Those friends that you know, that neighbor, great guy, everybody in the neighborhood likes him, but if he is still without God, without following Christ, he stands guilty as a sinner. All of us in that same boat. And yet, if you are a Christian, you have the news. You have the hope. You have the, the answer. It should motivate us to say, I, I don't want anyone else to live in that condition. I, I don't want anyone else to die in that condition. I've got the hope. It would, be, it would be criminal for me not to share it. It should motivate us if we truly believe what God has said to us. Let me, let me share one other verse. We kind of skipped over it as we were walking through this passage. I'll take you back to verse 17. And I'm going to talk about these, some more of these powerful repercussions. Verse 17 Paul says, for if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Okay, we know that. That's the fact we understand. How much more, there's our word again, will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We know that through one man's death, all of us, all of us uh, suffer the reign of death, right? But notice what he says. There's something different now. If you've received the abundant provision of the grace of God and his gift, we reign in life. Notice the words there. He didn't say that life reigns. He said grace reigns. He said death reigns. He, said, he didn't say that life reigns. He says we reign in life. Now, that, there's a very powerful thing that he was trying to get us across. But let's not miss something very, very critical he said, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? He makes it very clear that sin and your standing in death before God, you inherit that at birth. That's, that's our standing before, that we are sinners before a holy God. But this new life, this reigning in life, we don't, we don't receive that at birth. It only comes when we receive new birth through Jesus Christ. It's when we receive the gift. When we, God has provided grace, but if we have not received that gift of grace, then we're still living under the domination of sin and death. We have to receive it. It's a gift that is offered, but it's not yours until you receive it. There's an abundant provision. It can cover all your sins, but you must receive it. I read an interesting story this week. I've never heard this before, but year, several years ago, uh, just, before, just before I was born, there was a young man in Yale University, and you may have recognized the name. His name was Eugene Souter. His father died. His father was very rich, and at that point, and th this day, it was huge. He left him an inheritance, straight out $400,000. That was his inheritance. It's a college student. Mr. Souter, Eugene, refused to take the inheritance. He cited moral reasons, spiritual reasons. Basically, I just don't want to live under my dad's shirt tails anymore. And he refused to take it. It made some people upset. The people that were trying to get the money to him, the trustees and all that, they actually took him to court to force him to take the inheritance. And the judge, by the name of Collins in New York City, made this ruling. He ruled that the young man had a legal right to reject the inheritance. God has offered us a gift beyond comparison, paid the price of his death for that, provides forgiveness, provides an inheritance for us, 
but you have the opportunity to reject that gift. If you sit here today and you've not yet received the gift of Jesus Christ, you will make a choice before you leave here today. And if you know Christ has saved you, you've already accepted the gift, or you do before this day is over, but if you walk out and you, again, knowing that you need this gift and haven't received it, you've already made, you've made your choice. I reject. I don't, I don't want it. I don't think it's necessary. Whatever the reason is, you have a choice. You have, to, you have a, an inheritance provided by God's grace, but it has to be received. It's one that God offers, and it's simply the question is, has you, have you received the gift of God's grace? How much more, for those who have received the grace, he then goes on to say, they will reign in life. They will reign. They, they, now, there's a couple ways, and, and as we wrap this up, let me, let me see if we can understand what that means. What does it mean that if you're a follower of Christ, you will reign in life? Well, there is definitely, there's a future aspect to this. We know that when after death, there is, a, there is this amazing thought of what, what we don't know everything that's going to happen in heaven. We don't have all the pictures of everything that's going to happen. But one thing we do know, that there's going to be this relationship with God forever. But here's how he describes it. Revelation chapter number 5, the writer John says this. He was talking to the, to the Lamb of God or talking about the Lamb of God. And he says about him, with your blood you purchase for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And notice this, and they will reign on the earth. Now again, I don't know all that that means but I know in the future somehow God is going, as his kid, just a sinner that he has saved, I'm going to reign with Jesus. Now that's pretty cool. I don't know exactly all that's involved, but as a follower of Christ, he actually says we, we step into this position of reigning and ruling with him. So I know that part of that is, is, a, is what that means, that, that because my sins are forgiven, because my home, I know that I will reign with God, that I, ultimately he is the king and I'm part of his kingdom, but as a part of his kingdom, he says I'm actually going to rule. That's good stuff, but let's, let's not forget the context of what we're talking about. Romans 5.1 says we now have peace with God. We now stand in grace and have access to God. We now have the hope of the glory of God. We now can rejoice in our sufferings. This whole passage is talking about that, yes, reigning, ultimately, sure. But I believe what he's, in the context, what he's saying is there is, an, there is an opportunity, there is an ability for us right now in the life in which we're living to, to see this experience where death is no longer in charge, sin is no longer in charge, and we can reign in this life in victory. We can reign in this life with, with the confidence of who he is and what he's doing in our life. We can have this peace. In fact, verse 18 goes on to say, so also one righteous act, that's what Jesus did, resulted in justification, that's our salvation, and life for all people. For our justification, that's our forgiveness, and life. God is promising not only life eternal, but life now. Kingdom life difference now in who we are and what he has called us to be. A, a new life. The Holy Spirit moves in us and through what Jesus did and resurrected, we now have the power of a resurrected Christ living in us. That's the reigning in life. If the one who resurrected from the grave lives in us, then we can reign in this life with victory, with, with meaning, with purpose. Perfect? No. We're still in this 
cursed world, but we can see that God can show us something different. Our life can be, can be changed, can be, can be different. Let me, let me just show you something that, that I brought with me. This is a glove. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Thankfully, we don't have to wear these for a few months. Whew, I'm glad these were in storage, but I pulled it out for a reason. Let's say I set this glove down, and I say to the glove, pick up the Bible. Well, maybe that's too hard. Just pick up a piece of paper. I think we all know I can sit here for quite a while, and that glove's not going to do anything. Anybody agree with that? Okay. You understand that that's, that's a picture of the fact that with, without Christ, that's how we are in regards to, to life itself. We, we don't have ability to do anything. Here's what some people would say. Well, you know, you, the glove just doesn't know exactly what to do. So you need to train it. You need to teach it a little bit. So let's, let's just say I just spend hours with the glove. And I say, now, glove, if you take this finger and you put it here and you pull that up. And if you put it under there and you lift, you can pick these. And I just, I give it step-by-step instructions on how to pick up this paper. Still not going to do anything. That glove has no power in and of itself to do what I'm asking it to do. And without Christ, you have no power to do what needs to be done, to, do, to live a life without sin. To, you, have, you don't have that without Christ. The only thing that's going to give this glove the ability to do what I've asked it to do is if you insert life. And you put something with life in the glove, now suddenly the glove can do what it's being asked to do. And you understand, that's with Christ, without Christ, we're just a glove. We have no in power within us. We're, we're sinners, we're lost, we're ringed by death, but the life of Christ in us not only saves us eternally, but it changes us. Now we can do what God has called us to do. We can make the choices that God wants. We can do what God has in mind for us. We can live by his design because the life of Christ lives in us, and now we can reign in life. Because of what Jesus has done. And so some are, are defeated. Some are living as if they just can't get it. And, and understand, if you know Christ, within you is the life that can make the difference. Reign in life. Let's summarize what we've talked about in the last few weeks. Remind us of this. Because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive, joy is alive. Hope and joy are alive because Jesus is alive. Hope is indestructible. You can't kill this kind of hope because it already came back from the grave. It's indestructible. But here's what we learn from today. Because Jesus is alive, life will never be the same. There is a new life in you now. It's not just an a after-death experience. There's new life in you and Life will be different because of what Jesus means. The resurrected Christ lives in you. That's where I think Jesus was alluding to when he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There is a life that God has designed for us, and it's possible. It's within us. And and he's going to share with us over the next few chapters how we can begin to see that life really live out itself in us. But today I have a couple questions. Number one, have you received the gift of eternal life? Remember, it's been provided. It's big enough to cover whatever. It's sitting there. It's a gift with your name on it. But have you received it? 
Has there been a point in your life when you recognized you were lost, you were a sinner by birth and by choice, God sent his son to die for you and you can receive it. Have you received his gift of eternal life? If not, God offers you an invitation today to do just that. And you have a choice to accept or reject. Will you do that today? Let's say you have received the gift. You're part of God's family. You're one of his kids. You no longer are reigned by death. You're, you're ruled by grace. So my question is, is your lifestyle, your attitude, the way in which you, is it characterized, is it identified by the life of Jesus Christ? And what does that mean for you? And then finally, if you know Christ, how often have you missed or how often have you taken the opportunity to just stop and say, thank you, God, for my life?